Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, CityWalk Church. Well, that's, that's all right. We'll, we'll, let you, we'll let you slip on that one. Ho- hope your morning's going well. Uh, today's a really special day. I, I mean, obviously, I think Sunday's a special day every Sunday, but, but one of the things that we're really excited about as a gathering this Sunday is that as we sit here right now, there are 20 other churches starting, and today is their first day all around the country that we have had a part in encouraging, some of them supporting. And so we remember our first day seven months ago, and we're so excited. And so, man, let's, let's get excited and celebrate 20 new churches that today are starting in schools, in theaters, in different buildings, literally all over the country and even into Canada. Uh, some friends are planning churches. And so we always celebrate when God births new churches uh, all around the world. And we're excited to, to play a small part in just helping some of those, even as a church plant ourselves. Uh, this past week, I, as some of you know, I'm from Florida. And Lori and I, we moved here from Florida about uh, 15 months ago. Lori grew up in Marysville, and so we had been coming back to this area uh, really about every year and a half to two years for the last 20-some years while we've been married. Uh, But we have spent most of our married life in Florida, and I worked at a church called Centerpoint Church there in the Tampa area. And my best friend, his name is Bryant, and he's the pastor there. And about five years ago, I was sharing this with a few of you earlier, uh, his mom, who also is, is connected there at the church, uh, came down with Alzheimer's. And so we have walked together over the last five years uh, through this journey, and we have prayed as a family, and I have prayed for their family quite a bit. Uh, and, and she went to be with Jesus about a week and a half ago. And so I was able to go back and just be there uh, yesterday at the funeral and to just be a part of celebrating a really faithful, godly lady that if you went to that church, you may not even have known she was the pastor's wife, but she was one of those behind-the-scenes ladies that just faithfully served Jesus for over 50 years. And so it was exciting to be there. But when you go back to where you're from, you get to see places that you enjoy going, kind of get to go back home. You get to drive by a, some of your favorite restaurants. You get to see people that you haven't seen in a while. I got to see some people that, man, I hadn't seen for a long time that even knew me when I was a little kid. And, and that's always fun to do. And when we started this past week, we started this series called Heart Detox. I encouraged you to think back at when you were a little kid, and, and kind of think back, kind of like I did this past week as I was back home, at what it was like growing up in your home. And probably if it was, if it was like my home, I was the oldest of three boys, and I had you know two, two parents, wasn't a perfect family, went through different struggles over the years, 
but, but two parents that loved us and that did their very best to raise us well. But there were certain things in our family that, and you had these things in your family, there were certain rules in our family, there were certain things that, that we were supposed to do and to, supposed to say and places we weren't supposed to go and things we weren't supposed to say and, and there were just different rules that, that our family had just like your family. And, and I told you last week about one of the weird rules that my dad had for me was he always wanted me to wear socks to church. Like, to him, that was, you don't go see Jesus when you die if you don't wear socks to church. I mean, it was that big of a deal to him. And, and I, I remember my dad, you know, he's, that, that, that was something like, really, my friends are wearing flip-flops to church. And I, I mean, I can't even, like, wear long pants and no socks. And that was one of our rules. But just like your family had specific rules, your family also had specific consequences. And as a little kid... Because you, you knew that, hey, if I go down this path, if I say this word, if I do this thing to my sister, this is going to be the consequence, you began to modify your behavior based on what the consequences were. And your mom and dad, probably like my mom and dad did, and probably like you do as a parent, before you went somewhere, they would turn to you as a kid and say, hey, when we go here... You will like what they serve you. You will not throw yourself on the floor and have a temper tantrum. And they kind of gave you the speech. And you modified your behavior because you really wanted to not get the consequences that came if you did the thing that you weren't supposed to do. And that's kind of what we did as kids. And so we kind of grew up and and our parents were all well-meaning just like we are. But in a lot of ways, we practiced behavior modification. But then we got older, and, and, and instead of, you know, not being able to go out with my friends on Friday night, now I'm an adult, and, and so as an adult, I don't have an, a parent that, that tells me, hey, if you go this way, this is the consequence. If you go this way, this is the consequence. So what we do as adults is we build this really sophisticated filtering system that filters our words, that filters our actions, and things that we think. We, we build a filtering system so that, man, those things never get out. And every now and then the filter breaks down, and that's when we say things like, oh, that is not like me to say that. But you just said that because your filter broke down a little bit. And you know how it is when you have a filter. We have filters for everything. You have a filter in your house for your air conditioner that stops bad things from getting into the air. When we lived in Florida, we had a pool in the backyard because houses in Florida aren't crazy expensive like they are here, so we could afford a pool in the backyard. But in our pool one day, Kate and I were out in the pool, and we looked in our pool filter, and there was a snake in there. And it was like, thank you that that, snake, that that filter was there to stop that thing. But, but that's why we have filters. We have filters to stop bad things from moving through the filter and hurting us. And we do the same thing in our life. We build these filters to stop us from saying and doing things that we shouldn't say and do because we know they're not appropriate and they, we know that they would hurt other people. But here's what happens. Eventually, and we all know this, our filter breaks down. And and eventually, 
stuff begins to seep out because it was never about behavior. It was never about a filter. It, all, it had to do with our hearts. And because our, our, our filter can never stop what's really in our heart all the time, the filter, we, we realized a long time ago, many of us, that you know what? The filter isn't the answer because it was always a matter of what's in the heart. In fact, Solomon said it this way as he was talking to his son. He said it this way. He said in Proverbs 4, verse 23, he says, Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs or issues of life. So Solomon, he's sitting down and he's writing actually to his sons and he says, hey, I want you because he understood that what's on the outside has very little to do with really what life's about. He understood that everything that life's about, that your marriage, that your leadership, that your parenting, that your work ethic, how you treat people has very little to do with what's on the outside. It has a lot to do with what's on the inside and comes out. And so he told his his kids, he said, guard your heart because from your heart flows your life. See, you, you and I know this without even thinking about it, you are only as healthy as your heart. You walk into a gym and you might, you might be working out next to the, like the most ripped person in the gym. Like you, you look at this dude and you feel like you should go to the kitty room to work out because he's, he's so strong. And I mean, so it's just like, my goodness, he has muscles. I didn't even know existed. But if that dude's heart isn't good physically, it doesn't matter. He'll still die of a heart attack and just be a really ripped guy that dies of a heart attack because in every way, we are only as healthy as our heart. And it's the same way spiritually. We, we can look the part and we've all done it. We can keep the filter strong. We can build, put duct tape on the filter to make sure we cover as many holes as possible. But at the end of the day, our life flows from our hearts. And because of that, we need to focus on our heart. And so the question that we've kind of introduced this past week is a pretty simple question, but it's a penetrating question. It's simply this. How's your heart? Not how is your week. Not how are you doing. Not, not the, the typical, not that there are bad questions. Not the typical questions we tell people but be, that we kind of surface level answer. But really, how is your heart how is the part of you that that is that maybe nobody sees that's the the really who you are maybe the you that you've been masking for a long time how is your heart and for a lot of us we if we're honest we'd say man my heart is weighted down there's different things in my heart right now that man there's some anxiety there's pride there's lust there's you fill in the blank and yeah we filter it out a lot but but inside of us it feels like a weight and the phrase we introduced this past week that that I want to encourage you to continue to think about is simply this the weight you feel is a window into what God wants to reveal that weight we feel in our heart that, that in many cases what we do is we try to avoid it. It's like, ooh, it hurts, so I'm going to avoid talking about it. I'm going to avoid digging into it. 
that weight we feel might just be the place that God wants to press in and do something on the inside that changes us forever. And one of those weights that, and, and there's a lot of things that weigh our hearts down, and the scripture talks about a lot of them, and we'll, we'll in this series, we'll deal with several of them, but one of the ones that, that weighs our heart down, and maybe you've dealt with, whether you want to admit it or not, is envy. One of the things that weighs our heart down is the idea of envy. I actually experienced envy this week. In fact, I think we have a picture, and you're about to experience envy too when you see this picture. Yeah, I was in Florida, and I, my friend and I, uh, his name's Justin. If you were here our very first Sunday, he made announcements. His wife did the spoken word the very first day. Well, I stayed with him while I was here in Florida, and he said, Hey, Chris, I need to take you to this new restaurant called the Maple Biscuit Company. I'm like, I like all those words, and put together, let's go. And so I'm like, hey, you know, when you go to a new restaurant and you're going with a friend that loves food as much as you, you're like, dude, what do I get? Just tell me what to get. He says, you need to get the five and dime. Like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. And so, yes, I want one of those. And so what it is, is this glorious creation you see on the screen. Uh, it's a biscuit that is on, even the biscuit on its own would have been very, really good. Uh, I think it, it uh, I'll just keep going because I'll, I'll be here all day. But basically, it was a biscuit. It was a, a fried egg. It was a piece of cheese. It was a piece of fried chicken. And it was smothered, as you can see, with like heavenly sausage gravy. And, and what's interesting is I put this picture up on social media. And you thought I put a verse about Jesus on there. I had so many people commenting and liking and loving it. It's like if I, if I, if I were to put a, a picture of Jesus himself on there, I might not have got as many likes and loves. And, oh, I'm, I wish I could be there. Be, because, man, when you, you look at stuff like that, and that's kind of a funny example, you look like, man, I'd love to have that. And, and if, as you think about envy, envy is one of those things that, that and I think the, the definition I really want us to think about is simply this. Envy is looking to something or someone else to tell me I'm okay. It's that, it's that idea of I need what they have. Not, not just, hey, that's a nice thing. It'd be nice to have or a, a desire. Nothing wrong with that. But it's no, 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 no. For me to be okay, I have to have that. It's, the, it's this phrase. If I had blank, things would be okay. And all of us would fill that blank in differently and probably differently at different times in our life. But, but all of us, and we may have never said it this way, but, but down deep in our heart, and this shows us what envy really is, it's, it's not a desire, it, it's a desire that becomes a demand that then becomes a need that we have to have to be okay. And you and I both know that this unchecked envy wrecks our heart and it wrecks relationships. And eventually, and, and you know this because we've all experienced it, looking to someone or something else to make us okay is devastating. And, and what it does, it, it, it pushes us to fixate ourselves on the people that are ahead of us. And we don't like people that are ahead of us, not because they're not good people, but simply because they're ahead of us in an area. And because of that, because of the envy in our heart, we don't like them for no reason other than they're ahead of us. 
See, envying when we, when we have to have something or someone to be okay, it forces us to say really stupid things like, hey, if I had that much money, then I would. And like, well, yeah, of course their life's that way because they have more. If I had that money, yeah, I get it. It has us, and maybe, maybe you've experienced this, when, when we look to something or someone other than God to make us okay, we find ourselves obsessed as we reflect on what we don't have. I don't look like him. I don't have that. I don't have the job, that car. And, and we look and all we do, it, it, it makes us, whether we like it or not, instead of rejoicing with the person, we look at it and we just think of all the things we don't have that they do have. And it wrecks us. And the thing is, it wouldn't matter if we did have more because it's not about more, it's about heart. And maybe you're pushing back a little bit in your heart and you're saying, honestly, there are some things that aren't fair. Well, let me tell you about some things in my life and how they got this and they kind of got the benefit of the doubt in an area and now they have something that I don't have and their life's better than me. And, and in your heart you're saying, man, but there are some things that aren't fair. But, but honestly, if we, if we think about this, we don't want fair. We want more. Really? I mean, because here's what fair is. Fair is equal distribution of wealth, health, talent, and opportunity. And that's not what you want, neither do I. We want more. We don't want fair. And at the end of the day, we, we know this in our heart, that even if we had more, we would still have an issue. Even if we had more, we might feel superior to some other people, but we would never have enough because it was never about more. It was always about something on the inside. And this, this envy, what it does when we look to someone or something else to make us okay, our heart is never at peace. Our heart is never whole. It's never healthy. It's never free. We, we, we mask it. We make people think. But at the end of the day, we still go to bed with a weight on our heart when we're struggling with envy. And, and not only do we have this weight on our heart, but, but honestly, it's physically exhausting. When, when we live a life that is filled with envy and always needing something else to make us okay... It's physically exhausting. The scriptures even talks about how envy, it, it literally, the Bible says, it, it rots the bones. It says this, Solomon said in, in, in Proverbs 14, 30, he says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It, it affects us not just spiritually, it literally affects us physically when we're burdened and, and when we have envy that's in our heart that we don't deal with. James says it this way. He says, for where jealousy or envy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It's so destructive. And here's why. And, and maybe you felt this. For some of us, this is how, how it's destroyed our life. Because right now, you are spending money you don't have to keep up with people you don't like because of envy. Maybe you've experienced that. And it's, it's exhausting. 
You are maybe dieting yourself to death because of a picture on social media that you're trying to keep up with. It's exhausting. You're driving maybe your kids crazy because you're trying to parent your kids based on what somebody else thinks is right. And so you're trying to parent your kids like somebody, to, to make somebody else think you're a good parent, and you're driving your kids crazy. And, and I do the same thing. And so you can see how envy is so destructive, and it's so destructive physically, it's so destructive to relationships, it's so destructive to our future, to our decision making, it, it, it affects our finances. Envy is one of those things that, that literally touches every area of our life even when we don't know it. For some of you, you have seen wedges driven in your family because your brother has more than you in an area or your sister has more than you in an area and it's literally affected the closeness of your relationship. And it's because of envy. It's extremely destructive physically and also emotionally. And what, what makes matters worse is when I fail, it's amplified. And I look at other people, while my failures are amplified, their successes are amplified. And so, so as I'm struggling with envy in my heart and as I'm struggling to, to have God deal with this, I look at your life and, and, and on your okay day, it looks really good to me. Like, man, oh, I wish my life was like that. And on my okay bad day, it, it's amplified to me like, oh, I'm a huge failure. And we do that. We, we amplify our own failures, and I look at your one picture on Instagram that you took that took you 15 minutes to get on there because you were trying to make it look just right, and I look at your life, and I see, oh, man, their life's perfect. And I look at my life, and I think, oh, wow, I'm an awful dad or because I made that mistake or because I said that. Our failures are amplified, and other people's success is exaggerated. And you know how far this can go, this envy? The, the scriptures literally say this. It says, when, when the Jewish leaders handed Jesus over to Pilate, Matthew and Mark literally said this. It was out of envy. So it, it was even part of why these religious leaders were so upset at Jesus and literally wanted him dead. Because of envy. And, and, and for some of us, and I think probably for all of us, if we're honest, what we do is we point to a person when, we deal, when we're struggling with envy. And here's what I mean. We, we look at a person and we think, you know what? It, it's, it's that person but, but that I'm upset at. It's that person that's causing me to envy. And at the end of the day, we're probably not really angry at a person. We're probably more angry at ourselves. We don't necessarily hate a person. We might even hate ourselves. But, but we're looking at a person and we think, man, if... if, if if it was different for that person, if I had what that person, and we, we blamed the person, and it was never about the person. It was always about our hearts. The point is simply this. The people who surface envy are not the problem. They just surface the problem that's in our heart. And so here's, here's and I want to focus on this for the, for the last time, to, our time together. And this is something you may have never thought of or maybe never wanted to admit. Could it be that our real issue is not with a person but with God? 
Think about it. If we really drill down, you know what envy says? God owes me. And at the end of the day, if we we really look at what's at the heart of the issue, and, and sometimes we don't like to dig this deep, it's never been about somebody else and what somebody else had, but it's really been about my kind of anger or not really being happy with the cards I've been dealt and I'm blaming God. Because God could have fixed it. Or God could have given me more. Or God could have, and and you fill in the blank. And so my issue was never with a person, but it was with God. And I think in order to get freedom from envy, we have to be willing to admit, hey God, my issue has never been with somebody else. My issue has been with you because in some weird way, I have thought that you actually owe me. And what's interesting is, is God never said he would be fair. God never promised fair. Some of you in your life, you look, you look at things that have happened in your life and you're like, yeah, this has never been about being fair. And sometimes we get upset at God and, and we, we have envy in our heart and we're upset at God because, hey, she got that or he has that or their life's easy or, or this didn't happen to them, it happened to me and, and my life's better than theirs and I do more than them at church. And so why would God kind of deal me those cards and actually at the end of the day, God, I'm mad at you. You owe me. And yet throughout the scriptures, Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 is a good verse to speak to this. It says, He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? This was a king that said this that had just realized that the God of Daniel was God. And had just gone through a really tough thing that he had brought on himself. And at the end of that, he said, hey, you know what I've realized? Is this God, about this Daniel's God? This is a God that, man, he's in control. And what happens, it's on him. And, and nobody's stopping what he wants to happen. Another place in Scripture that speaks to that in First Chronicles 29. It's, it's David as he's in, kind of almost to the end of his life and he's about to turn things over to his son Solomon. And he says this, he says, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And later on in that passage it says this, to whomever you choose. See, I wrote this in my notes. What we have is less important than what we do with what we have. A lot of times we're, we're, we get upset at God, and, and God never promised to be fair. He never promised to give everybody the same. But what he did promise is, hey, I'm going to give as I see fit. And I'm going to give because there's a lot bigger story than your comfort and your happiness. So I'm going to, I'm going to give and I'm going to take as I see fit for your good and my glory. And sometimes me not giving to you actually brings me more glory. And I know you don't understand it on this side of heaven, but this is part of a bigger story. 
And you see all throughout the New Testament, even, even as Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, he's writing about gifts of the Spirit and how every person that knows Jesus has been given gifts. And nobody's been given like the JV gifts, like, hey, well, you get the varsity gifts and you only get a few of the JV ones. No, no, no. God gives gifts. He gives abilities according to his plan, his will. But in the middle of, of Paul kind of waxing eloquent about how God gives gifts as he chooses, you see this chapter that you probably, even if you didn't know Jesus, something in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, was probably said at your wedding. And in the middle of Paul talking about gifts and how God gives the way he sees fit, Paul stops and he writes 1 Corinthians 13, and, and this is what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. See, imagine, I mean, think, Paul's sitting there writing, he's writing about, man, let me, let me write to these people and I'm going to talk to them about how God's given them gifts and how those gifts have been given as part of the church and how he's been given these gifts so that they can use them for God's glory and for the, the edification of the church, but right in the middle of it, let me stop and talk to them about love and let me talk to them about not envying and being patient and not being resentful, and not boasting. See, at the, at the heart of being a follower of Jesus, and you saw this with Jesus, is this idea of rejoicing with those who rejoice, and weeping with those who weep. But yet, when we have envy in our heart, and we would never admit this out loud, we rejoice when others weep, and we weep when others rejoice and it sounds really sick but that's what envy does when, when when Paul's talking he's saying man love is not envious love is is not resentful it's patient and and in Romans he talks about how it's so important to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep when envy has a hold of your heart and we would never want to admit this but when you're struggling Somebody with envy is rejoicing. And that someone might be the person you look in the mirror at. And when you're rejoicing, man, when you get the promotion or when you get the new car or when you get left the money or when your kid is succeeding and their kid is not doing as well, at the end of the day, if there's envy in their heart, as you rejoice, they are not rejoicing with you. And we are the yous. And that's how envy, it's so disgusting and sick, but yet it's on the inside and it's wrecking relationships and, and, and we're mad at people and we're, we have these conversations with ourselves about these people and it's all because inside of our heart we look at someone else and feel like, why do they have that? And at the end of the day, we're upset at God because he could have or he could have stopped. Or he could have given, but he chose not to. 
And you, you know this and you've seen it happen. This going on in our heart, it kills relationships. It kills marriages. It kills father, son, daughter, mom. It, it kills relationships. Be- all because this thing in our heart that says, you know what, God, you owe me, and if I only had that, or if my life only looked like his, I would be okay. And we live with that weight, and we do our best to filter it, and man, on the outside, and we fake rejoicing with people, and we fake weeping with people because we know that's appropriate, and on the inside, some really sick things are going on. And, and here's what's, what's good. Jesus came so that well, that didn't have to happen. Because Jesus came to earth, whether you're a follower of Christ, maybe you're investigating faith. One of the reasons Jesus came was to give us freedom in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways is he desperately wants to free our hearts from the the things that hold us down, the the strongholds. He wants to help us have freedom and, and really detox our hearts. He wants us to be able to live filter-free lives and be transparent and have community with people where people really know you on your best day and on your worst day and still love you. And you do the same for them. Where you genuinely rejoice with those who rejoice and you genuinely weep with those who weep. But it's not going to happen by just putting a little more duct tape on the filter. Or, all right, white knuckle on this thing, and let me just get a little bit more disciplined, and, and I can kind of work this thing out. No, it, it's going to take more than that, because haven't you been trying that for years? And has that worked? Uh, it hasn't worked. And so let, let's talk quickly about some things as we, we think about what does it look like to, to begin the journey to freedom from envy and kind of detox this area of our heart. I think the first step is simply this, and this is hard to do. We have to admit that we think God owes us. We need to admit that, and it's that kind of honesty that will begin to lead to some clarity and has the power to free us. But when we keep pretending that it's because of someone else or because of this situation, and if this was different, then I wouldn't envy We need to just admit what it really is. And it's, you know what, God, right now my issue is with you, and I need to admit that. I'm not saying it's right. I know intellectually you don't owe me. In fact, if you gave me what I deserved, it would be really bad. But in my heart, that's the issue, God. I I admit that I believe and I feel like I got dealt the wrong hand, and you owe me. And we need to admit that. I think the second thing we need to do is, and this is just as important, is we need to confess our envy to someone. There there might be somebody in your life that you're struggling with envy and you're having these passive-aggressive conversations with them because down deep in your heart there's envy towards them and it's affecting your relationship and you would never, ever think about being honest with them about that. And the thing is, if we're not honest with them, we'll never get freedom. And so sometimes we find ourselves just saying, hey, you know what, I'll just deal with God on this one. And there are things in your life that it's just, you know, you, you and God, you deal with some things, you work some things out. But a lot of times, 
we need to deal with God on something, but then we also need to deal with someone that has skin on. And, and I need to come to somebody and say, friend, I have struggled with envy and envying you, and I need to admit that. And, and here's what's cool. That's not easy. In fact, you'll, you'll be a little nervous before you have that conversation, but here's what happens when you have those kind of conversations. Almost immediately, you experience God's grace. And here's what I mean, because this has happened to me. And this isn't like a Chris thing, this is a Bible thing. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when, when I'm too proud to come to you and say, hey, my struggle is with you, and as a brother or sister that I love, I need to have that conversation with you. When I'm too proud to do that, not only am I stopping myself, but the Bible says that God is literally resisting me. But when I say, you know what, I'm willing to go have that conversation. And man, it's hard because I am proud and I am nervous because you might punch me in the face or you might not be nice to me or you might not like me anymore. And I've been looking to you to make sure I was okay. And so this is a hard conversation. But when I come to you and say, hey, I admit I'm struggling and it's, I'm envious of you. The Bible says God gives grace. And it's and instead of that resisting, it's like almost immediately you feel God just pouring. It's like a deep breath. It's like weight off your shoulders, and it's God's grace. And so it, it, it starts with us admitting to God, like God, and God's not up there like, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for admitting that to me. I'm glad you let me in on that. He's like, dude, I've known that the whole time. You've been like looking to that and to that and this to fix it. And I've known the whole time your problem's with me, but you've never been willing to have that conversation. And so we have to admit to God. Then we have to confess to someone else. And I think a third step that's extremely healthy is simply this. We need to begin to celebrate what God has given others and fully leverage what God has given you. Instead of me looking to you and, oh, the grass is always greener over there, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to really celebrate your green grass, and I'm going to water my grass. And I'm going to make the most of where I've been put, and I'm going to celebrate what's going on in your life. And that's just going to become a habit. And it's a habit that we have to remind ourselves of because it doesn't come naturally. And so we're going to celebrate. And then the last thing. And this is so important. We have to shift our reference point. And here's what, I'm, what I mean. See, right now we're using something as a reference point in our life to make us feel okay. And, and so for, for some of us it might be my job. Well, as long as my job's going good, I'm okay. For some of us it's our kids. As long as my kids are behaving and things are moving forward for them, okay, life's okay. It might be my marriage, it might be, you know, how much money I have in the bank, and if, if I have enough money in the bank, all right, that's what makes me okay. And, and what the problem is, is that we, we all know this, that, you know, nothing wrong with all those things going well, but they can't be the reference point in our life that we lean on to make sure we're okay. Because what happens when the bank account doesn't have that much? What happens when the kids aren't doing well? What happens when there is a struggle in marriage? What happens when the reference point that you've been leaning on to make sure you're okay, something's kicked out from under it? 
And so we have to shift our reference point from what we've been leaning on to make us okay. And we need to shift that reference point to God. See, our reference point, it needs to be the one who made us, loves us, and redeemed us. And his name's Jesus. So that you can, in your life, on the worst day of your life, you have a reference point that will not waver and never changes. You have a reference point of a God who loves you and knows you better than you know you and still loves you. You have a reference point that will never change. That you don't have to earn anything from. You have a reference point that you're always able to lean on. So when I can lean on something like Jesus and when I lean on Jesus to make me okay, if your life's great and my life isn't, I can still rejoice with you because I have Jesus and Jesus is enough. And that doesn't mean, man, that I don't desire things. It doesn't mean that I'm not working towards things. But I don't need those things to be okay. I need Jesus to be okay. And that preach is really easy and it lives really, really hard. And some of you have walked through really, really dark days. And you could put an exclamation point on that point and you have with your life because you're like yeah uh, that day when the everything got pulled out from under me the day that came that I hoped would never come the worst scenario that I hoped would never happen I've walked through that and I'm okay, not because the bank account was full, not because the, the marriage was great, not because everything on the outside was good. I'm okay simply because of Jesus. That's it. And Jesus is with me on the good days, and he's with me on the bad days. And because of that, I'm okay. And so as we close, how's your heart? Where, where are you feeling weight in your heart? Where are you feeling that, that envy in your heart? Some things to think about. Are, are you exhausted from trying to keep up with somebody? Financially? Socially? Or is there somebody in your life that, man, you're just exhausted because you keep trying to keep up with somebody? Are you broke because you're trying to keep up with somebody? Are you allowing others, allowing what others have to keep you from enjoying what you have? Do you enjoy your kids or are you driving them crazy because of what everybody else's kids are doing and accomplishing? Are you driving a wedge in a relationship for no other reason than they have what you want? Is it possible that your spouse feels like you are dissatisfied with him or her because of your propensity to make comparisons? Who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail? relationally, financially, professionally. See, on the other side of detoxing our heart and coming to, to God and saying, I admit my problems with you. I'm going to confess that and I'm going to begin to rejoice with those who rejoice and I'm going to begin to, to do the best with what you've given me instead of envying someone else. On the other side of that, is peace. 
Solomon said this, and we'll close with this. A tranquil or peaceful heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And so as we close, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. This is one of those messages that that probably, if we're honest, every single one of us has maybe dealt with this this week. Maybe even in the last 24 hours. And for some of us, there's relationships that are broken or tense because of this. For some of us, there's, there's stress on our finances, there's stress on our marriage, there's stress in our parenting relationship, all because of envy. And I'm so excited that because of Jesus, we have freedom and can have freedom. And so just as we close this morning, would you, if, if this is a struggle with you, would you maybe just start this journey of gaining freedom by just in your heart admitting to God that, God, my problem has been with you. Would you be willing to just admit that? Stop blaming somebody else. Stop blaming circumstances. And just say, you know what? At the end of the day, my issue is with you, God. And then would you be willing to to take maybe even a harder step? And if it's a relationship that's been affected, would you be willing to go to that person and confess that? Ask forgiveness? And then... Would you be willing to begin to shift your reference point? So what is your reference point? What allows you to go to bed at night feeling like things are all okay? Is it a big bank account? Is it a relationship with your kids? Is it the job's going well? And and none of those things are bad, but they can't be the reference point in our life that makes us okay. And if that's true in your life, would you just be willing to just right now say, Jesus, I confess that you have not always been my reference point. And today, I'm recommitting to keep my eyes on you as that reference point. Dear God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to carry weights around in our heart. And Lord, there may be people here that, that literally for decades have been carrying weight around in their heart. And Lord, whether it's been decades or whether it's been a day, you provide freedom because of Jesus. And God, I pray that today that we would, all throughout this room, that we would begin to gain freedom from envy so that we can leave this place and love people Because you loved us, not because of anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.